So if you want to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, we're going to start at the top of the chapter. As we move into chapter 18, if you're visiting with us, we go through the books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse here at Calvary Chapel, just, just going through the Word of God and to grow us and to instruct us and to edify us and build us up. And so we've gone as far as chapter 18 of Matthew, and we read in verse 1, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Father, as we come and we begin to learn about humility and honesty in this chapter, forgiveness, we know that these are qualities which are very important in our Christian lives. And I do pray that our ears would be open and hearts soft before you to receive the word and not just hear it, but Lord, to have a desire to apply it in our lives. Because these things that we talk about um, may not always be easy, not at least to our flesh or it doesn't line up with the world's uh, perspective. But Lord, to really have a desire to learn what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, we give you this time as we study your word in Jesus name. Amen. So the disciples, they come to Jesus and they ask them, who is the great or the greatest in the kingdom of God? And we know from Luke chapter 9 and from Mark's account of this that they had been arguing on the road as they're making their way to Capernaum. They come into Capernaum. They are in the house and the discussion continues. Now, Jesus knows what it was that the disciples were doing on that road. And it tells us in Luke's gospel that they were arguing. They were disputing who is the greatest in the kingdom of God. And that's going to continue clear up into the time of, you know, Jesus meets with his disciples for the last time in that upper room. That when they come into that upper room, as Jesus will have his last meal with them, he celebrates Passover with them that they come into that upper room in Jerusalem arguing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God because they're thinking that he's still going to usher in the kingdom. Now, we saw in the previous chapter that Jesus has been talking about that I'm going to go to Jerusalem, be handed over to the chief priests and elders, and I'm going to be delivered into the hands of sinful man, and I'm going to be put to death, but I'm going to rise again after three days. And, and even though they were hearing that, they're not understanding it, they became very sorrowful. And we know that even Jesus, in that last week, we'll talk about it next week, in the triumphal entry of Jesus, that they were expecting him to usher in the kingdom of God right away. And that continued through the week, clear up until the time, the night that Jesus would be arrested, and he would be bound up. He would then go through a series of six trials that would lead him to Calvary. That they're arguing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And at that time, Jesus would gird himself in that upper room with the towel, and he would wash the feet of the disciples. And he would say to them that what I have done, that you ought to do to one another. In other words, you want to be great in the kingdom, you need to wash others' feet. You need to serve others. And that's going to be the theme here as Jesus answers them. Now, again, as they're disputing who's the greatest in the kingdom of God, I just wonder what that discussion was like. I'm sure Peter's going back there going, well, obviously I'm the greatest because the keys of the kingdom have been handed to me. And the guys are going, no, you're not, because you were called Satan right after that by the Lord. <laughs> And John is going, well, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves, you know, in all this discussion. I wonder that what was 
you know, that entailed and what that was like. As they come into the house, they come to Jesus and they said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, initially, I would think that Jesus would rebuke them, be short with them, uh, be annoyed with them. I, I think that, in, not that this would ever happen, but if the staff or a group of people came to me and said, who's the greatest here in the church at Calvary Chapel? I would be taken back by it. And we know that wouldn't be right. Well, here are the disciples. They come to Jesus wondering who is great in the kingdom of God. And Jesus answers them. He doesn't rebuke them. He's not short with them. But he answers them. And he is one that, as we read this answer, that is wanting them to know how it is they can be great in the kingdom of God. And it tells me that that's not only the Lord's desire for them to know at that time, but it's his desire for us to know as well. How is it that we can be great in the kingdom of God? He wants us to do well in eternity's perspective, in eternity's values and views. Now, keep in mind as we go through this, that Jesus is talking about how to be great in the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world. If you want to be great according to the world's philosophy, to the world's perspective and views, then there's all kinds of advice. There's mountains of advice. There's books written out there how you can be successful, how you can win and influence people, how you can be a, a person of power and, and persuasion and all of this. Uh, there's all kinds of seminars. There's conferences that you can go to. Uh, there's all kinds of things on social media. There's a lot of life coaches that are out there that will coach you in different areas of life. And I'm not saying that's all bad, but here's the thing. Keep in mind, he's talking about the kingdom of God. And what the world does is come along and will teach you how to be a person of influence, how to market yourself, how to have prestige, how to assert yourself, what to prioritize, how to be recognized by people. The philosophy of the world is true greatness is shown by how many serve you. That's the world's mentality. But to be great in the kingdom of God, it isn't by how many serve you, but how many you serve. You guys really want to be great in the kingdom? Then you need to be the least. We've already seen Jesus say that. That he's going to continue with the theme, you need to be the servant of all. He's already told them you need to die to self. And now he talks about humility here. As verse 2, he answers them. And he called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them. And said, surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. So as Jesus here, as I've already mentioned, we know from Mark that he's in Capernaum. He spent more time in Capernaum than any other place. Capernaum nestled on the north shores of the Sea of Galilee called the town of Jesus. And he's in the house, Mark tells us. And again, that there are some that suggest 
that perhaps this is Peter's house when you read that. And when you think about it, you know, Jesus spending more time in Capernaum than any other place, the town of Jesus. And I think that he spent more time in Peter's house than any other place. And can you imagine having the Lord that would spend time with you? It's, it's kind of like when he would go to Jerusalem in Bethany, that's just a couple miles from Jerusalem, that he would spend time in, in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But here in Capernaum, he spent time perhaps in Peter's house, if, if uh, that's what it means. We don't know for sure. It isn't specific, but I think it's a good speculation. And what is interesting here is that he calls for a little child, and a little child to be set in the midst of the disciples. And some have suggested, and, and again, this isn't in the Bible, but sometimes I like to think about these things, that perhaps this was Peter's son. We don't know. The Bible's silent on it. But we do know that Peter was married, don't we? That Jesus came and healed Peter's mother-in-law. And we also know that later on, that Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I believe, he talks about the other apostles that traveled with their believing wives. So some of these apostles were married. And then he specifically mentions Cephas, or that is Peter. And Paul's writing about me and Barnabas. Don't we have, you know, the needs and necessity to be supported? And is it only the apostles that travel with their believing wives? Kind of like making a point, and you can read that. But, but it is Peter's wife that was a believer, and she traveled with him as he would go and minister. And we know Peter is very much mentioned in the early church in the book of Acts. And then he leaves Jerusalem. James becomes the leader of the church. And then there's a focus on Paul's missionary journeys. But my point is this. I think about Peter's wife. She had to be an absolutely incredible woman. Because all of a sudden, Peter comes home one day. And he says, I met this itinerant preacher. And I'm no longer going to be a fisherman out there catching fish he told me i'm going to be a fisher of men and i wonder what her response was at that time was that well that's nice honey you take the trash out for me or whatever but we know that she her life was changed as well because all of a sudden all these people are coming into their home and and capernaum is jam-packed and her husband is gone i can't wait to meet her and she traveled with Paul, or with Peter, her husband. And church tradition tells us that she was martyred right before Peter's eyes, before he was hung upside down. And I just want to encourage you that as you serve your spouse, whether it is your wife or your husband that supports you, that you are very much blessed, and this is such an important position for you. And I want to encourage you in that. And so as here this child, whoever it is, and whatever, whoever's house they're in, that Jesus set this child in the midst of the disciples. Now this quickly does tell me something of the character of Jesus. That children would come to Jesus readily. I don't think this child hesitated. He didn't stick out his tongue and, you know, run away from Jesus. He comes to Jesus. And we're going to read in the next chapter that the disciples, when the parents bring their children to Jesus and he puts his hand on them and begins to bless them, that they try to prevent the parents from doing that. And Jesus gives a very strong rebuke to them. He says, don't forbid the little ones to come to me. Don't do that. He was very upset with them. And so here is this child that's in the midst of them. And as we know that children 
they will respond to gentleness and kindness and they will respond to love, which Jesus was. I have seen it to where those who uh, are small and little and children, uh, they won't respond to those who are harsh and critical. But it does also remind me, as even as we have seen, the importance of us ministering to children, the children's ministry here. And I not only want to remind you that we're to pray for each other as we're parents and grandparents, for those who are in the schools that are ministering to children, because I know it's very, very difficult for you. Matter of fact, this morning that I've had a few teachers come up and say, please pray because it is so hard, and I am very grateful for you that you are in the schools being salt and light. I'm very grateful for the teachers that are ministering in the universities and in the colleges that we have here. As a matter of fact, I'm very grateful for you in whatever area of, of life that you are out there in the world and you are light and you are salt. Those of you in the medical field that it's been so difficult for you, thank you for your service. Those of you who are serving in another's way, wherever you are at, you have the opportunity to be light, to be an instrument of truth, to display the reality of Jesus in your own life, to show the love of Jesus Christ. And the world needs that desperately because Jesus here is not just talking about children. Yes, he is, but little ones, those who perhaps are young in the Lord, those who don't understand the truth, those who are lost. And he's going to talk about that in a little bit as he defines his missions. So here is this, you know, child that Jesus takes and he wraps his, you know, arms around him, embraces him, is what Mark tells us, and says to his disciples, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you need to humble yourself, first of all, as a child. You come in childlike faith if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. You need to come and continue then in childlike humility if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say, be childish. He says, come in childlike faith. It's not an intellectual exercise. It's not a philosophical exercise. It's not a political exercise. It's an exercise of the heart to humble oneself and come in childlike faith. And when Jesus called this child, verse 2, the indication is this child came. And I just wonder, I just wonder, if there are any here today that God is calling you to himself. And perhaps you've been hesitant. Maybe you're thinking, what would my friends think if I became a Christian? I want to get ahead at the job, and I, I want to have a place of prominence. Uh, I can't become a Christian. I want to do things my way, whatever the case may be. You see, come in. To the Lord in childlike faith means you humble yourself. It means that you put aside the pride, the self-reliance, the arrogance, living for yourself, and you come to him. You come to him for the greatest need that any man or any woman has, and that is to be forgiven of sin, to have eternal life, be reconciled to the Father. And then he desires to bless your life more than you can ever do, trying to do it in your own energy, in your own efforts, and trying to be a person of prestige in the world because all that's going to go away. To be great in the kingdom, you who are arguing, and I suspect as they are arguing, they are arguing who's going to have the best position in the kingdom. 
Matter of fact, we know that James and John sent their mom to ask Jesus for her two sons. Uh, can my sons sit on your right and on your left? In other words, can they be number one and number two in your, your kingdom? They're wondering, what great position am I going to have? What place am I going to have in the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, you want to be great? He's going to be teaching them, then you be the servant. You receive a child in my name, and you humble yourself as a child. Now, when you think about it, those of you who have kids or you work with kids, they demand time, don't they? They need to be cared for. Uh, they need to be tended for. They can be demanding. They, uh, it takes a lot of effort to, to minister to kids, to raise kids. And if you want to get ahead in the world's eyes, you don't necessarily look for a child to advance your career or your prestige or your position. You have an important interview, you're not going to take your kids to that interview and impress the, the company or the business or whoever is interviewing you. My point is this, that children need things. Uh, Jesus is talking more than just being nice to children. If you really want to be great, then you embrace children in childlike humility yourself. You embrace those who have need. Little ones, ordinary people, those who have no influence, those who aren't going to advance you, you welcome those who you can serve. You receive those who cannot advance you a single bit or your career or your name. You know, we love to, to drop names. We live in a culture and a society where we love to be around people that are popular, those who have a name, those of a prominent position. We just, there's something, you know, in our fleshly tendency that we like that. And even pastors will do that. That is not uncommon for pastors to drop names, you know, well, so-and-so goes to my church, or even bring somebody of, of prominence and importance. And I'm not saying it's all bad, but here's somebody that's well-known, who's famous, you know, the famous athlete, the famous movie star, the famous whoever, and we'll interview them, and, and people are very impressed by that. And, and I don't know all the motives of those who do that, but I don't drop names like, let's bring little Tommy up, let's bring little Billy up uh, and interview him. And you're going, little Tommy, little Billy, who's that? Well, you know, the little kid in the first grade room with the runny nose, that hides under the table when it's worship time. You know, we don't do anything like that. Of course not. But we want to be around those who are popular, those who will make us look good. And Jesus says, in your attempt to get ahead in the kingdom, the way to greatness is that you receive those, and you help those, and you serve those who cannot advance you, who cannot prosper you, who do nothing for you, you receive them in my name. You receive anyone who is the little one. And again, we live in a culture that says, nope, you're not to do that. It flies in the face of what... Uh, we're told to do and what our flesh desires to do. And so we like to be on social media. We love to do all these things that, that you know, make us look important. And we want people to think about us. You know, one of the things when you get older like I do, it, you know, when you're younger, you want people to think about you and how they think about you. When you get older like me, you realize people aren't thinking about you as much as you think they are. 
You receive others in the name of Jesus, and you serve them. And then a warning is given in verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. It's a pretty sobering verse, isn't it? He didn't say if you stumble one of these little ones that a millstone will be hung around your neck and you're thrown into the sea. He said it'd be better if that happened. So it's a sobering warning about not stumbling the faith of a little one. And, and I want to kind of reel it in a little bit because those of us who are parents or grandparents or with, work with kids, you know, we don't do it perfectly. You know, I've raised four kids and, and we've told our kids, we've raised you the best that we know how in the ways of the Lord. And we pray for you constantly, but we never did it perfectly. And I know that perhaps there are some that are here that you, you know, maybe you didn't get saved till the kids were older. And maybe there was just a lot of stuff that was going on before you were saved. Or, you know, you realize your, your shortcomings and, and, and your failures and you realize how that, Lord, I should have done this or I could have done this or I could have done better. We all have those things that, that press on our hearts and those kinds of thoughts. And I just want you to know that we can go to the Lord and that we can put it under the blood of Jesus Christ. And what's important is that we move forward right now and how he would have us minister to our children, to our grandchildren, to others that are around us and linked to us in our lives. But here, as he says, don't offend them. You know, don't cause one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, to stumble. Their, their faith is fragile. Don't do that. Don't throw one of these little ones off course. That's what the word means in their walk with me. This is uh, something that we see the heart of God towards. And that's why I'm very grateful for you who are in the schools. Grateful for you who are ministering out in the community. That are ministering to family members and your neighbors and coworkers. You know, pray about, as we have this children's festival, who you might invite. You know, you, you know that um, you can have the opportunity to invite them, co-workers, their kids, or whoever it might be, to Resurrection Sunday. And I think as we look at this, it does show us the seriousness of parenting. It shows us the priority of our children's ministry. Will you pray for those volunteers? Will you pray for Angie as she directs the children's ministry and Celeste in the nursery and, and Luke and, and the other volunteers, you know, that are working, Luke and Ashley and Austin with the middle schoolers? Pray for them. And may we always as a church see as a priority for the kids to come here, the young ones to come here, and to learn the love of Jesus Christ and the truth of Jesus Christ. You see, we can give them two things that the world won't give them. Truth and love. Truth and love. Because we know that our world is telling our kids that there is no God. That they weren't created. That they evolved. And we have the opportunity to be able to tell them that God created you. And you are fearfully and wonderfully made by him. And you're no mistake. That he loves you and he came to save you and has a wonderful plan for you. To be able to give them the love of Jesus Christ and the truth of Jesus Christ. The world will not give that to them. And may we never see it as children's ministry. Ah, just the kids there will, you know, just sing some songs and 
play some games. We will do things like that, but we have opportunity to minister at their level the things of the Lord, and it's an important to him. And it is a privilege for us to do that. And how it is so needed to be able to receive the little ones and those who are young in the Lord and those who are hurting. Don't stumble the beautiful faith that a little child has, those who are young in the Lord. But again, Jesus, I believe, talking about all little ones, we are ones that, as a mature Christian, we don't want to flaunt our liberty because there are many little ones around us in our lives. We don't want to stumble them. We want to deal with others in great sensitivity. And it saddens me when I hear of, of youth kids or young that say, well, I want to come to church, but my parents don't want to. It's just too much of a bother for them. And may we never be that way. If you want to be great in the kingdom, if you want to enter into the kingdom, come in childlike faith. Be great in the kingdom of heaven. You receive others in my name. You embrace others. You minister to others in sensitivity. You want to build them up. You want to build people up around you, not tear them down, not stumble them. And then thirdly, you can write in your notes and take note of this, that you deal with yourself radically. Verse 7. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses come. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and, and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. The third mark of greatness is deal with yourself. If your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If, in other words, there is something in your life that is causing you to sin and move forward in carnality and live in carnality and sin, hindering you and slowing you down in your walk with him, get rid of it. Now, you should know, just to make it clear, Jesus is not saying that you need to go out and take an axe and cut your hand off or a ballpoint pen and pluck out your eye, okay? Just so we're clear on it. He's not talking about bodily mutilation or annihilation. He's talking about the heart. He's talking about the heart. And if there are things in your life that pollute your heart, that defile your heart, then deal with it radically. Get rid of it. Be intentional. I need to get rid of that temptation. I need to get rid of that thing that I'm looking at or is coming into my life or that place I'm hanging out. I need to get rid of it and cut it out of my life. You see, the tendency is that we want to deal with others harshly. We deal with ourselves graciously. We say, well, no one's perfect. Well, I got a little bit of sin, so if I just... Take a little look, and I'm not hurting anyone. But then we're harsh on others. And Jesus tells us, reverse that, okay? You deal with others with sensitivity and grace and kindness, but you deal with your heart intentionally, radically, harshly. He's using a very dramatic illustration here. Because that thing that causes offense in your life ends up destroying and defiling. Has the Lord been dealing with you anything in your life that you know you need to get rid of?
Don't compromise. Or your places you're hanging out or things that you're watching. And it's all around us. It's so easy on the phones and on our tablets and on the computers. Or things that you're pulling up on the computer. Push of a button. The pornography, the whatever, the carnality. Bring your computer here. We will go up on the roof and we will throw it off the roof for you. I'm serious. Get rid of it. And if the Lord is dealing with you and convicting you and saying you need to get rid of this sin, maybe nobody else knows about it, but he does because nothing is hidden from him. Stop. And repent. And turn to him. And call out to him. Ask for help. And get rid of that thing in your life and live for him. Because it will eat away at you and it will do you in and wipe you out. And Jesus is saying, cut it out. Get rid of it. Be intentional in these things. And in a couple of verses, and we'll be done. But then he says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Isn't that interesting? So people will call me up and they say, Do children have a guardian angel? According to this verse, talks about their angels. What exactly does that mean? I don't know. But the main point is, he's saying, don't despise one of these little ones. Don't despise them. Listen, because his mission is, for the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. This is my prayer for you. This is my prayer for this fellowship. Little ones. Don't despise the little ones. Not just the children and the youth. And I pray that we don't despise the youth. Oh, those kids come in here and they got their hats on and everything. Don't go there. Don't go there. We are to love them and give them truth. But anyone, that we don't despise them. Because there's a lot of people out there that they need to hear the truth. They don't know the truth. They've been in the world, and we need to receive them. And we will give them truth. We're not going to back down from truth. Amen? But we are also going to speak the truth in love, as Ephesians says. And we're going to give them a message of hope. And as we receive others, because here's the thing, Paul the Apostle, when he writes that incredible book, the book of Romans, he talks about justification, then talks about sanctification, incredible theology that is given. And then in chapters 12 to the end of the book, he tells us, now that you know that who you are in Christ and how you can come to Christ and be justified and how Christ wants to work through you and sanctification, then this is how you live for Christ. And he says that you are to be ones because of his great mercy, that you be a living sacrifice, that you may know what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. And then he tells us how we can live for him, how we can be a living sacrifice. And the very first thing that he says is don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think you're better than anybody else. That he desires for us to care for people and to receive them when it's not real easy to do that. You know how you can tell how you're a servant? If you've got a servant's heart, we like to throw that word around. Well, I'm a servant of the Lord. You know, we have servanthood, you know, programs and 
all of that. And I, I think those things are good. You know how you can tell if you've got a servant's heart? How do you react when you're treated like a servant? Do you want to assert yourself? Do you have any kinds of agendas? And I'll only be around the people that can advance me, that I look around. Rather than ministering to those who are not going to advance you, as I said, and help you. But to receive the little ones. And don't despise them. Because the Lord died for them, just as he died for you. And he desires for us to be a place where they can come We've had people that have come that received Christ and they told me that I sat out in the car because I didn't think I was good enough to come in. I didn't think that, that I could go to a church or this church would receive me. And it's like the invitation is always to come and we will give you the truth and we will minister the gospel to you and we need to stand on truth. And the world needs that more than ever, but not to despise others. Man was blind. And we read in the Gospels that he went and he touched that man. And he says, can you see? And the man says, well, I, I see it, uh, uh, foggy. I see not clear. I see men walking as trees. And then so Jesus touched them again. And he says, can you see? And he says, I see clearly now. And it's interesting, some of the commentaries that you read at it, on it and on that miracle, it's the only time that Jesus had to some, touch somebody twice. And sometimes there are those who say, well, Jesus made a mistake. He didn't make a mistake. He didn't say, oops. There's, it's recorded for us for a purpose. Because we were blind, and now we see, right? But sometimes we need another touch from the Lord. Because we see things not real clear the way that the Lord sees others in the way that the Lord sees things in eternity's perspective. And we see things and we see others and they're like trees, you know. They're, they're walking around. And so we want to take our axe out and we want to start cutting on them. And the Lord says, I need to touch you again so you can see people clearly the way that I see them. That I love them and I care for them. And I pray that this place is full of little ones that aren't despised, but we can give them truth and we can care for them. And that we would take the time to do that and always have the priority of ministering to these children that are coming here and to our youth. I don't need to tell you, it's a messed up world. And it's getting messier. And wherever you're planted in life, that you have the opportunity to be salt and light. And I know it's hard. It's difficult. And it may get harder. It may get harder. But we trust in the Lord and we are here for such a time as this. And I'm thoroughly convinced that the hope for our nation is a spiritual revival, a spiritual awakening. Because we are headed in a direction that is very scary. We are headed in a direction where there's more of a move to take parental rights away if you try to teach truth. If your kid wants to embrace, you know, that which the culture and the world is embracing, when it comes to sexuality or gender identity, don't you get in the way. We'll take your kids away from you. That's what we're seeing more of. And we need to stand firm and fight the good fight of the Spirit. 
Fight for your wives. Fight for your sons and for your daughters. For the Lord is great and awesome, Nehemiah said. So be that light. Be that one who's willing to serve others and give truth to others. And be able to be an instrument that the Lord desires to use in the days in which we are in. Because the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this time in your word and to remind us to be great in the kingdom is that we are to humble ourselves in childlike simplicity and humility that we serve others. Jesus, you died for them. Jesus, when you went to the cross, you went for the purpose to save those who are lost. And it's only through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And you told those disciples that they must humble themselves and come in childlike faith to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So if there's anyone here that the Lord is calling you to himself for salvation and forgiveness, whether you're listening online or in this sanctuary or in the coffee shop or later on the radio, that today is the day of salvation for you to come for you to say, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to change directions. I'm going to repent. And I'm going to come and surrender my life to you, Jesus, to believe on you and ask for forgiveness. The invitation is to come today. Today is the day of salvation. He is your hope. He's the only one that can save you. Not a church. Not in trying to be a good person. None of us are good enough. Only Jesus, who died on the cross and cried out, it is finished, because he did the work and he paid the price, and then was put into a tomb, and he rose again. He conquered sin and death, validated what he did on the cross. If you're not right with God, if you've never made a commitment to Jesus as Lord and Savior, do so right now. Because tomorrow is a promise to any of us. And this world will just bring death. This world is not your hope. And you can pray right now, Jesus, I come to you. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. You died on the cross for me. And you're alive. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for bringing me into the kingdom of heaven. And I thank you for this new beginning. I pray that you would, Lord, help me to learn of you, to walk with you all the days of my life. And thank you for this just new beginning in life and a new heart and a new spirit. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. And for all of us, that we would have a desire to serve others, not to think more highly of ourselves than what we ought to, but, Lord, to be used of you, to be light and salt. I thank you for those here as we go out. We all go out in our mission field, wherever we're planted, to be ministers of righteousness and reconciliation. Give us a heart for others. Lord, we do pray for the children's ministry and for the youth here, the young ones that are coming, that we would just love them and care for them 
in a way that is pleasing to you, to give them truth. And Lord, I pray that you would just be with those who are here, Angie and Marley and Celeste and Vanessa and Luke and and Austin and the others that come alongside of them to minister, that you would just bless them and strengthen them. Lord, that every week we would please you in how we minister to them. And Lord, I do pray also for this children's festival, this vacation Bible school, that it would be used in a powerful way to bring children to Christ, to encourage them in their walk. Lord, to establish them in truth, that you fearfully, wonderfully made them and loved them. Have a wonderful life before them as they come to you. We wouldn't forbid that, them to come to you. And Lord, I do pray that you would bless everyone here. We leave this place. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?